Good morning. Our scripture reading for today comes from Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We are spending all fall looking at the Beatitudes, the beginning of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, where he really talks about what the good life is, this, this question that humanity has been asking itself for thousands of years, what is the good life? How do people live a happy life? How do people, how do we be happy? How do we pursue happiness? Jesus gave his answer in the Sermon on the Mount, and he opens it up with these eight Beatitudes, eight character traits that describe the people who, according to Jesus, are truly blessed, the people who are truly flourishing, despite what the world sees and what the world thinks and what the world's priorities are. And we've talked about how the Beatitudes are not a list of promises that God makes to people for good behavior. It's, it, takes, it, it takes the place of Old Testament wisdom literature. The Beatitudes are eight observations about those who are blessed by the grace of God, what their priorities are, what their lives look like, why they are blessed, because they are blessed by God. And today we look at the meek, those who are blessed and flourishing, possess a gentleness of spirit, a gentleness of spirit that is necessary in order to lead, to manage, to rule the coming world that God is going to create when Jesus re returns to restore humanity and all things. The Bible talks about God's sons and daughters, God's heirs, ruling the coming world with Jesus. And in order to do that well, they need a gentleness of spirit. But those who would otherwise take things by force or influence others by manipulation or impatiently demand what they think are their rights are unfit for ruling God's coming peaceable kingdom. Their tactics have only led to war, to oppression, injustice, and misery throughout human history. Why would God adopt their approach to leadership? He will not. 
but God will charge, he will give charge of the entire earth to those who are truly fit to rule it. The meek are fit to rule the earth with Jesus someday. And today, as we look at what meekness is, we're going to talk about the nature of it, what it, what it actually is, and what the habits of meek people are, and then finally, the reward of meekness. The nature of meekness, the habits of meekness, and finally, the rewards of those who are meek. Now, the nature of meekness is usually misunderstood. I'm sure you've all had conversations about what being meek is. Just to clarify, here are a few things that meekness is not. Meek does not mean being soft. Meek does not, being, it does not mean being a coward. It does not mean simply to be a pacifist. Being meek doesn't mean being lazy or being quiet or being introverted or being a human doormat. Although to others, the meek may seem as such to them from the outside. The word that Matthew is using here in his gospel, the Greek word, was it meant gentle. Most of the time in the Greek New Testament and in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word that Jesus is using here, it meant gentle or humble. It's always translated gentle or humble in most cases. So to hear this third beatitude, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth, we have to consider how the original hearers heard this as Jesus stood on the mountainside preaching to these people, to the great crowds that had come to him from all over the region. Most of them were Jewish. And they may have thought of Psalm 37 from their, old, their, their own Bible, which says, those who wait for the Lord shall, shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The Jews would have heard this as the promised land. The meek will inherit the promised land. Now, at the time in the first century, uh, there were the zealots. Actually, one of them became one of Jesus' disciples. He called one of the zealots from that movement to become one of his own disciples. But the zealots were a movement of freedom fighters revolting against Roman authority to try and seize back the Holy Land because they had been oppressed for centuries. There was also another group, the Herodians, who weren't truly Jewish, but were basically in charge of that region of the world because they were uh, skilled in catering to Rome and uh, manipulating things in such a way that Rome gave them regional authority over the land itself. And so to hear that someone would inherit and take possession of God's promised land, uh, they were thinking about Palestine as we would understand it today. But here's what Jesus is doing. He's saying in contrast to those who would revolt from a military perspective and in contrast to those who would manipulate politics, the meek will inherit the land. And eventually, as Christianity spread out of its original Jewish context into Gentile regions of the ancient world, uh, this concept became more broader than the meek shall inherit the land. The meek shall inherit 
the creation. Just see what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, that God's sons and daughters would inherit the entire world. But who are these meek whom Jesus is actually talking about? What do they look like? What do they do? Here's a simple definition of meekness. Those with a gentle spirit who do not prosper by force or manipulation. Considering what Jesus was contrasting the meek to in that day and age, the Jews were waiting for somebody to by force take back their land from Rome. And there were movements for that, either by political manipulation or military force. But according to what Jesus is saying here in the original context, the meek are those who with a gentle spirit do not prosper by trying to take force or manipulate others. Or as the modern scholar whose commentary I'm using, Kenneth Bailey, would put it, the meek are those who humbly seek God and are neither too bold nor too timid. There's a right balance between in, in there. Now, I think maybe some, sil, some illustrations would be helpful at this point. So, for example, Abraham displayed meekness when he gave a portion of the promised land to his nephew Lot. When he gave Lot first pick of the land because there was a dispute, that was meekness. David, the king in waiting, the successful warrior, displayed meekness when he spared the current king, Saul's life, again and again and grieved at Saul's death. Abigail displayed meekness when she counseled and helped an angry David, a hot David, when he was getting ready to do something rash. Uh, she displayed meekness by exhibiting, as the Apostle Peter would one day put it, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Check it out, 1 Samuel chapter 25. Here's another example, and we'll go a little bit more contemporary now. Think of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Why does Willy Wonka give charge of his precious chocolate factory and care of all his Oompa Loompas to Charlie? Because Charlie, unlike all the other kids that were in the factory, Charlie was the only one who saw everything from the perspective of simply enjoying it for what it was, not trying to take any of it by force or greed or manipulation or a sense of entitlement to it. All the other kids were forceful, were spoiled, were disrespectful, and Charlie was the only one who was simply there to enjoy all of it. And he was rewarded with the factory itself. He was the only one who was worthy of taking it over because of his humility. When you think of Narnia, the great lion Aslan displays meekness because even though he is terrible and powerful and not safe at all, he is good. The brand of civil disobedience championed by Martin Luther King Jr., demonstrated meekness. 
So I think a way of summarizing the third beatitude in the words of another commentator, Jonathan Jonathan Pennington, would be to say this, flourishing are the humble because they will inherit the world. The humble will inherit the world. And I want to ask you a question at this point. How do people become meek? The, The Davids, the Abigails, the Charlies, the Martin Luther King Jr.'s, How do they get to a state where they are meek, where they display uh, that sense of being not too bold and not too timid, where they prosper by not taking force, by not manipulating others? What do you think? How, How do people, from your perspective and in your observation, become meek? Yeah. Those who, take, those who have been taken advantage of are careful when they themselves are put in power. Is that, would that be a way of... They can be, right, good. Yeah, no, that's great because, you know, a, a friend of mine who is a Christian and has a lot of experience as a peacemaker because he's from Rwanda says that today's oppressed become tomorrow's oppressors. Um, but... Thing, sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes those who are oppressed develop a compassion and a sensitivity for others. And so, so there is a redemption in that process. Yeah, that was really, really great. Thank you. Any other, any, anybody else? How do people become meek? Yeah. They have examples set for them. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really important. I, uh, I was at a high school football game on Friday night, and it's, it's fun. I love sports. And, you know, you've got to psych yourself up if you're going to, to uh, beat your opponent. Um, and my son and I were reading an article recently in By Faith magazine about sports and how, you know, play is a wonderful thing, but when play becomes organized and competitive, we have to be careful that it doesn't become an idol. Um, and it's, it's so hard to guard ourselves against um, allowing something like sports to take over so that we don't learn how to be meek and we don't train our young people how to be meek. So more and more we need examples of athletes who are meek, politicians, movie stars, parents, teachers who are meek. Anybody else? Uh, this, is, this is tough. I don't see a lot of hands today because I think it's really hard to understand where meekness comes from. But a few, yeah, right here, John. When we have a correct view of who we are in relationship to God, how awesome and powerful and big he is, and where we are on the scale. Yeah, meekness has a lot to do with having a correct view of ourselves in comparison to a great, holy, righteous God, right? Excellent. Yeah, Loretta. Hmm. 
you've talked about the tension in the Beatitudes. You've really, really highlighted the tension in the Beatitudes. None of us can achieve any of these things by ourselves, only by the grace of God. But if the grace of God is in us, if the Spirit of God is in us, these traits are achievable, not perfectly in this life, but are achievable by God's people with His Spirit. Otherwise, why would Jesus have pronounced them? Yeah, so practicing meekness, and I'm going to be talking about that. Maybe one more. Yeah. Being brought low by something. I, I, I can't think of anything in my life that has challenged and encouraged me towards this than being brought low and being humbled uh, when I was not looking for it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. The habits of meekness cultivate a gentle spirit. If you are a Christian then by nature you are filled with the Spirit of God. And if you are keeping in step with the Spirit of God, then your life very much should be cultivating in all things a gentle spirit. By the grace of God, cultivate a gentle spirit in two ways. Two, two, two broad ways for today. Cultivate a gentle spirit by practicing restraint. This is a big one. The Apostle Paul told us about Jesus being God, but he did not brag about being God or carry around a sense of entitlement because he was God in human flesh. Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Paul went on to say that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is a radical role reversal for, for the Son of God to take on the form of an obedient servant. That's why it was so scandalous in the beginning for people to follow Jesus. They were following a man who was crucified on a Roman cross. Jesus had every right as God and judge of the universe to seize control of the temple, to seize control of Jerusalem, to seize control of Rome itself. But rather than conquering as a king, he came as a suffering servant. So, in light of who Jesus as the Son of God and Son of Man was, what Jesus displayed, Paul said to the Philippians in the same passage, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is a conflict resolver like none other. Even when you feel you are right to consider the needs and perspective and position of the person whom you're feuding with. Now, at this point, you may be saying, what, what, consider somebody else's perspective even when I know I'm right? Even when I'm the one who's been wronged? Yes. Yes. Consider their needs and consider the situation from their perspective. And then we go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What about when others are wronged? 
because that's injustice. Where, aren't we supposed to defend the needs of those who cannot defend themselves? Yes. It's appropriate to pray against and to work against and to speak against injustice in our world and in our community where we work and in our lives. But consider whether you're angry at injustice because God's laws have been violated or because your rules have been violated. If you are angry, ask yourself, are you angry for the glory and holiness and righteousness of God or are you angry because of what has happened to you? Because right there may be the difference between justice and vengeance, which has nothing to do with meekness. Are you offended for God or are you offended for yourself? Even 400 years before Jesus spoke these words, the Greek philosopher Aristotle was wrestling with what is the good life? What, when you think of anger, you know, what is the right balance regarding anger in somebody's life? And the Greek pagan philosopher Aristotle said this, and this is a paraphrase. The one who is truly meek, and he used the same Greek word for meek, the one who is truly meek is the one who becomes angry on the right grounds, against the right person, in the right manner, at the right moment, for the right length of time. Now, who in this room does all of that perfectly? Aristotle was on to something. The meek, Jesus says, train, I'm sorry, the meek restrain themselves when they have the ability to retaliate because they know that God is the true judge. So by the grace of God, cultivate a gentle spirit by practicing restraint. Secondly, though, cultivate a gentle spirit by valuing weakness. That is absolutely ridiculous in the eyes of our culture in this world. All right? This is how hard the Sermon on the Mount is. Cultivate a gentle spirit by valuing weakness. Don't go asking for it. Don't go praying for it. But when you got to deal with your own weakness, see that there is a, an invaluable, there is something valuable to it. And let me explain what I mean. The Apostle Paul said, now this is the great Apostle Paul who wrote more than half of the, half of the New Testament. Big portion of the Bible. Uh, the Apostle Paul said that a thorn, in, a thorn in his flesh was given to him, a messenger of Satan to harass him. And this is what Paul said, to keep me from being conceited. And, and he said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this thorn in my flesh. Uh, and, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. God wouldn't take it away. Jesus said to him, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul went on to say, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And I think that Christ's lesson to the great apostle Paul is invaluable to us. Were you once wealthy? Now you're just middle class. Maybe you're below the poverty line. Blessed are you. 
Were you once strong and fast and good-looking, but now tired and slow and sagging? Blessed are you. Were you once in charge of your own business or a division of a company, and now you're working for somebody else, or you don't even have a job? Blessed are you. God has delivered you from becoming prideful. God has delivered you from remaining prideful. The meek value their weakness as an opportunity to rely on God's strength. The habits of meekness are practicing restraint. The habits of meekness value weaknesses as opportunities to manifest the power of God through weak people like me and you. I think the problem is that our world thinks this is all ludicrous. The world thinks this is nuts. We think this is nuts. There's a serious lack of constraint in our lives, in our society. A sorry, a lack of restraint. There's a lack of restraint in our spending, in our sexuality, in how we use technology, in how we do social media posts. A lack of restraint. The good life appears to be lived by those who take what they want when they see it. The good life seems to be lived by those who express themselves and invent themselves however they wish to see themselves. The good life seems to be lived by those who find easy access to what pleasures them. And weakness, weakness is not only feared, but despised. We may want to help those who seem weak, but we don't want to be seen as weak. It looks good when we help those who are weak, but we are afraid to be seen as weak, as unintelligent, as unsophisticated, as ignorant, as wrong. Unrestrained strength is what drives our politics today. Unrestrained strength is what drives our economy, is what drives the media, is what drives our sense of superiority, our sense of what is important, our sense of being important. But as John Calvin once said, commenting on the third beatitude, we must be sheep if we wish to be reckoned as a part of Christ's flock. And nobody wants to be called a sheep. But blessed are you if you are willing to be considered one of Christ's sheep. So ask yourself now, do you act like a wolf? Do you admire and mimic and follow and support people who act and speak like wolves? Those who will not become humble and gentle, those who will not become meek, Whatever their position in life, high or low, will have no place in Jesus' coming kingdom. They are nothing like him. But the reward of meekness, 
is simply knowing Jesus himself and becoming like him. That's the secret of the kingdom of God that Abraham discovered long ago when he was tested to offer, himself, to offer his promised child Isaac up as a sacrifice. Abraham discovered that the, the reward is God himself. And, and true faith, saving faith, the kind of faith that the Bible talks about, the kind of faith Jesus will talk about throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount is the faith that recognizes in the end and along the way that God is the reward. Paul would say to the Philippians also in Philippians chapter 3, now Paul thought from a religious perspective, he had a lot to brag about, and he did. Quite a guy in worldly standards. But Paul said, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, whatever gain I had, Paul said, I counted I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. The word means poo. Paul said, I count everything that the world would tell me to brag about as poo compared to the glory of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, that I might, what's the word he used? Gain. Gain Christ, not just know about him, but gain him, receive, receive him. Christ is my reward, Paul believed. Paul gave up, to use somebody else's words, Paul gave up what he couldn't keep in order to gain what he couldn't lose, God himself. This is why the meek can practice restraint in their conflicts. This is why the meek can accept their weaknesses, because they know, they know they're going to get everything in the end. When the Corinthians were arguing with one another and full of pride, Paul said to them, stop fighting with each other. All things are yours. That's what he said to them. All things are yours. That's what he meant. You are going to gain Christ and his kingdom. So for a little while, you can practice restraint. For a little while, you can see value in your weaknesses because God is teaching you to trust in him and not yourself. That's why the meek are flourishing because they see what's coming and they know they're going to gain Christ himself. I want you to hear Jesus' offer to you. And I'm not gonna put this up I'm just going to read these words. Hear what the Lord Jesus says to you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, and it's the same word for meek. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To say that somebody is meek is to say that somebody is like Jesus Christ. It was by meekness that humanity was saved. When Christ's gentle, humble spirit drove him to a Roman cross to die in your place. If you want to be forgiven by God more than you want to be right in your arguments and your opinions right now, blessed are you because the meek will inherit the earth.
If you want what Jesus is saving for you when his kingdom truly comes on this earth, if you want that more than whatever you can seize a hold of or manipulate to get now, blessed are you, for the meek will inherit the earth. God will charge, God, God will give charge of the earth to those who are truly fit to rule it, the meek. The Christian life, it, this whole thing, walking with Jesus, it is a humbling affair. As his true disciples become more and more like him, great but humble, powerful but gentle. Capable, but patient. Intelligent, but unassuming. Successful, but people who don't think all that much about themselves. People who are more interested in hearing and helping others. The world often overlooks such people. The world always has. And until Christ returns to change it, the world always will overlook you, my friends, if you are trying to follow Jesus. But God will not. God does not overlook those who are meek. He will entrust to them his kingdom and the responsibility to govern it well. Pray with me. Father, we confess that we are offended that true life, that true flourishing would be reserved for those who are meek. Father, we have been proud. We have thought very much of ourselves. We have wanted to be like people who take what they see, who manipulate for control, for power, for influence. Father, we confess that we have spent very little time and given very little thought to becoming like Jesus. We ask, however, that his priorities would become ours. That we would see that those who are truly blessed are those who nurture a gentle spirit who restrain even when they can move toward their own advantage, who listen before they speak, who think before they act, but when they act, have the right balance of truth and grace, the right balance of power and gentleness. Teach us to be these people, even as by your grace you have given us your Holy Spirit. Now may we keep in step with your Holy Spirit as you teach us what it means to walk with Jesus in meekness. We thank you, Father, for our Lord who was humble, whose meekness brought him to the cross on our behalf, where though he was righteous, he died as a guilty criminal for our sake. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you and we love you. Now, Father, work through us. Work through those who are weak. Work through those who seemed in the world's eyes to be weak. Prepare us, Father, to inherit and rule and manage the earth with you. Amen.